Turn your Bibles, if you would, to, thanks, guys. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. It's a, there's an odd aspect to my um, calling that uh, I try to get a grasp on, and uh, it, it's a slippery one. I remember years ago, a man walked this aisle after a service. He was 75 years old at the time, and he was in tears. And he was both sad and upset at the same time. He walked up to me after the service and after the message, and he said, uh, why didn't anyone ever tell me that when I was coming up in the church? And I thought, wow, that is sad. All we did really is talk about the Holy Spirit and his role in our life. I can't imagine anybody that would deprive another person in the body of Christ of an understanding of what the role of the Holy Spirit is in our life. But nonetheless, that was his experience. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we have children to think about. We have elementary school children who are living in a world that's um, got its issues. And you ask yourself, at what age are these children really supposed to have an experiential understanding of the Spirit of God. Um, there are ways to communicate that. There are ways to teach that. So how do you do that? How do you do that with your children? Some of you have young children. You're kind of probably asking yourself the same question. Well, the, the ministry of Jesus gives us a bit of a, a template, does it not? I mean, the Bible starts out with the Father. Now, the, the Trinity is involved in creation, but it starts out with the Father. We don't really, we see prophecies of Christ. We see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. David to the king says, take, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto, store unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. But it really isn't until the New Testament that the incarnate Christ comes to the forefront and now we have Father and Son. And then near the end of his ministry, we have him praying for the work of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we see at Pentecost, uh, a divine intrusion of the Spirit after Jesus had ascended into heaven. So Jesus didn't start out talking about the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, hey guys, come follow me and let's have Pentecost tomorrow morning. And do that. There was a progression, there was a, a sequence, there was a preparation. And I think we need to keep that in mind, too, as we look at our children and our grandchildren. How much of God are they capable of understanding, and when are they capable of understanding it? But more important than understanding, how about experiencing uh, a relationship with the person of the Spirit? So what we're left with in this day and age is all different perspectives on the Spirit of God. Uh, from one end of the continuum, which is he's more like a carnival act, doing things nobody can really explain, and there's a lot of, lot of excitement about it. And then on the other hand, it's a much more subdued thing. But Isaiah, God in Revelation actually, gives us a full picture, a full rich picture of the role of the Spirit of God in our life. Now, if you know anything about this ministry, you know we're Christ-centric, word-centric, but we're also, we teach anything in the Bible. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father this morning, and the Spirit of God is here. We need to know how to operate on our daily life in the Spirit on the Lord's day, as John the Revelator said. So anyway, I picked this passage 
because Isaiah gives us a pretty cool way, a way of looking at the Holy Spirit. And as parents, I want to encourage you to listen with a parenting ear. And also, as those who are really not quite up to speed with what the Spirit of God is all about, please listen. Isaiah says this, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking of the Spirit of God on Jesus, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor reprove after hearing of his ears. What we're talking about here is the seven Full spirit of God, the seven spirits of God. Seven meaning fullness, perfection. What does what the person of the Holy Spirit look like if you really took a full, good picture, panoramic view of what he wants to do in our life and how accessible he is and what his role is in our life and in your marriage and in your children and in your workplace? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? And there, let's look at seven of them, not just one. Let's look at seven of them and how they in harmon, are in harmony with one another. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. First of all, Isaiah mentions the Spirit of the Lord. Well, we're familiar with that one. Big S. The third person of the Trinity. Two things that are really, if you really want to annoy me, it's very hard to annoy me, but you can do it with two things. Call the Holy Spirit an it, not a person. Don't use a pronoun, use an it. Or say revelations. That will send me right off the edge. Well, it says in the book of Revelations, and I said, well, I haven't, I haven't read that yet. I thought I had covered that. I'll check that out. As soon as you say Revelations, you have zero credibility. So anything you say after that, you're just better off not saying it, because nobody's going to go along with it. Spirit of the Lord, the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, Co-equal, same glory, same essence, same substance. Uh, if you want to spend $10,000 a semester for a doctoral degree, homo usias. There you go. That is worth absolutely nothing, but you get to pay ten grand for it. And it's the same essence, co-equal with God. That's the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit. He is the breath of God, and he represents total authority. There you go. Authority's big, by the way. Total authority and rule of God in the life of God. And the anointing. Um, the anointing is the empowerment of the Spirit to do things in your everyday life. That could be anything from pray for the sick, read your Bible, discern a text, pray for somebody else, give counsel to someone else, anything. The anointing is an empowerment beyond your own ability to do something that the Spirit of God can do in and for you. Let me tell you something. You people are sharp, but you need the anointing. In and of ourselves, you don't want you operating at your maximum capacity and the Spirit of God not operating at all. Although said another way, the Spirit of God will not operate necessarily in his full capacity and not allow us to come along for the ride. The anointing. I was studying the anointing oil the other day, which I'm sure many of you were. It was like, I'm sure that's what you were doing. 
You looked out the window and you said, yeah, it's spring. Grass is like eight inches long. I think I'll study anointing oil. (laughs) I get it. I think about such things as I drive down the road. Pray for me. Pray for me. Well, one of the ingredients, one of the specific ingredients of anointing oil, I mean to the measure God wanted this done exactly the way he asked, was some cinnamon. Now, as soon as I say cinnamon, what do you think about? That's right, Cinnabon. (laughs) The fragrance of a Cinnabon in a mall in Fort Lauderdale or Atlanta or Greenville. The intoxication that takes place. The Cinnabon marketing plan. I think they actually blow it through the air ducts of the mall. Well, in Hebrew, that word cinnamon means measuring stick or rod. I got to thinking about it, and in my spare time, I had a conversation with the Lord about it. Basically, what he showed me was the anointing measures and judges others, not you. You want to pray for the sick? You pass no judgment. You come to no preconceived conclusion about who you're praying for. The anointing does that. You don't. You approach that person with love, compassion, respect, and empathy, and the Lord will take care of the rest. Okay? So the Spirit of God, co-equal with the Father and the Son, he handles that kind of stuff. That's above our pay grade, okay? The anointing. Uh, Don't try to understand fully what the anointing's all about or what it means. First of all, you're gonna come up short, and second of all, you're gonna mess it up. Just let it be. It is. (laughs) And you want it. Let weird people study the oil as they drive down mountain roads. The anointing is what we need, the empowerment to be the dad, to be the son, to be the mother, to be a community leader, to be a grandfather, a patriarch, a matriarch, an evangelist. That's what we need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing we see here from Isaiah is the spirit of wisdom. Ministry of the Holy Spirit gives believers the ability to discern a situation. And boy, oh boy, I see we are lacking in this particular area. I see in Matthew 24, Jesus speaking of the end times, when one thing will be deception after deception after deception, there will be lies and wars and rumors of wars and lies and wars and deception, false miracles even. There's no way in the world two born-again believers can have discernment beyond the totally opposite pages on what it is they're discerning that contradict one another and cause, cause divisiveness between them and call that the Holy Spirit. Sorry, not, that doesn't work. 
We need discernment. Discernment is of a premium importance in a world in which, what is the right course of action? How do I best evaluate the morality of a person? How do I uh, evaluate and discern the intent of the word, the intent of the scripture? How do I dismiss certain things that I see people talking about in public? And how do I not become a parrot for every voice I hear in my life and just repeat it without ever thinking? Discernment is so important. That's a role of the Holy Spirit. Just just to mention something. Sort of interrupting the message, sort of not. We, we live in a world with issues. And we each get a vote, like one vote. And who do we vote for? We vote for people who said, I'm going to actually try to make a difference. I'm going to enter a political race. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do it at my own expense. I'm going to be ridiculed in the process. I don't, there's no surety that I'm going to win. But I'm going to try to make a difference with my life. I'm going to use my experience. I'm going to use my intellect. I'm going to use whatever credibility I've built up. I'm going to do whatever the Lord is, whatever favor he's given me over the years. I'm going to try to use it to make a difference in my town, in my district, in my whatever. And I think in this day and age, in this particular context, you and I should be overly appreciative of those who make a decision to do so. That's not easy. It's unusual. It's uncommon. And for someone to step out like that, now with the right motivation, I'm not talking about grand, people who are grandstanding and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about people with a head on their shoulders who are mature and truly want to make a difference. And Clay Bryson, you stood up and you ran for the sheriff of Macon County and all you wanted to do was honor God All you wanted to do was use your experience to better your community, and you didn't win. But let me tell you something. I respect that. I respect that. It would do us well to pause on such things and reach out to people and say, thank you for running. These people, I'm sure, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, it doesn't matter. These people stepped out, and they lost. Most of them lost. Just say thank you. You're not just someone who sat around and complained. You actually got in the game. Good for you, right? I mean, come on. Well done, brother. Well done. And you did it well. You represented the kingdom well. I'm proud of you. I really am. Deception in the world. Proverbs 14 and 6. A scoffer seeks wisdom and does not find it. But, but knowledge is easy to him who understands. You've heard me say this before. There's three types of people out there when it comes to wisdom. The first one is a simpleton. They don't really know any better. All right. Gomer Pyle was a simpleton. All right? He's not a real person. I can say that, right? It doesn't matter. I already said it. It's out there. He was a simpleton. 
You gotta love the guy, he's just doing the best he can. He's got great motivation. He, I mean, he wasn't the sharpest tack in the drawer. He was a simpleton, he played a simpleton. But then the simpleton one day becomes a fool. When does a simpleton become a fool? A simpleton becomes a fool when you teach them better, that you should know better. They're not just naive anymore. They're actually going in the opposite direction of wisdom. And then if you're not careful, that fool becomes a mocker or a scoffer. Not only do they know better, but they choose, they choose directly to subvert authority, subvert wisdom, subvert God, and battle against them. Don't sit in the seat of mockers, the psalmist says, Psalm 1. Simpletons, fools, mockers, wisdom. I sense sometimes we need the Spirit of God in this day and age to keep the tail from wagging the dog. The church is supposed to be in charge. Righteousness exalts a nation. The church is supposed to lead the way by example, not follow the ways of the world or conform to the ways of the world. We gotta keep that in mind. Wisdom dictates our leadership. Wisdom is a result of fearing God. Not saying you fear God, but fearing God, reverencing God, respecting God. Luke 2 and 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I don't know what your take on the Holy Spirit is, but I know you're not against wisdom. I'm not talking about like wisdom because you're experienced. I mean, I guess that's okay. That's good. Horse sense, common sense. But wisdom where you actually revere God and you make decisions based on that. Discernment in scripture is the skill that enables us to differentiate, says John Stoll in his book, Fan the Flame. It is the ability to see issues clearly. We desperately need to cultivate this spiritual skill that will enable us to know right from wrong. We must prepare to distinguish light from darkness, truth from error, best from better, righteous from unrighteousness, purity from defilement, and principles from pragmatics. Well said. We need to be the wisest people on the face of the earth, and we should be because we are the only people on the face of the earth, know where we've been and where we're going. That makes us pretty wise. The rest of the world outside of Christ thinks they know where they've been, thinks they know where they are, and thinks they know where they're going. We knew all of that. So our wisdom should be exemplary. Our words should be choice, choice fat that the priest would bring out. I mean the best. When we speak to a situation, we ought to speak to it after having ruminated on it. Talk to the Lord about it. Let the Spirit of God speak through us. This world needs people to speak wisdom, not sentimentality, not cheerlead, not mockery, not scoffing, not divisiveness. Wisdom. That's the role of the Spirit. The next role of the Spirit is the Spirit of understanding. I was having lunch with a guy, this pastor, this past week, and he's talked about neuropathways and how we tend to think in habitual manners. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about the, you know, we have to, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but, but we need a renewing of our minds. The way our minds operate, that's the spirit of understanding. We operate as we cooperate with God. 
knowing how God works, how he speaks, the pace in which he operates. I have a feeling to be wise and understanding in this day and age, you probably speak less but say more. You speak a timely word more than a frequent word. In a world that doesn't really listen to you anyway, choose what you're going to say and say it at the appropriate time and pierce the very hearts of the people you're speaking to. For less is more in this day and age of gluttony and compulsivity. Less is more. You have younger grandchildren or you have millennials in your family. The more you talk, the more you might just be debating. Speak a timely word. Speak a godly word. Speak an understanding word. Speak a wise word. You'll get a whole lot more mileage out of that. Speak something that necessitates someone pondering what you said. Say something with the depth enough that someone has to really think about it. Not just pass it over as though it's like every other superficial off the top of your head. No, no forethought whatsoever. We are the wisest people on earth. Speak out of a reservoir of wisdom. Write it down if you can't remember it and then bring it back up. There, this world needs a choice word that permeates a not-so-pliable heart. And they need it now. You got younger employees? Think about, pray about, Spirit of God, give me a spirit of understanding how I can best speak to these people. Some of you actually worked eight hours a day one time. It got paid by the hour. People don't do that anymore. They try to show up in time for lunch. Speak wisdom. Speak wisdom. Speak understanding. The Spirit of God, the role of the Spirit of God is, is not just miracles. I mean, it's got its place. We've seen some here for crying out loud, of course. But Spirit of counsel to correctly instruct and advise others. Some of you come from large families. Just the odds themselves, the numbers gain themselves, tells you you got an oddball in there somewhere that needs some counsel. Huh? I know I need counsel. You don't have to tell me that. I'm just saying, go counsel someone else. We have people who need someone who will take on that role of a counselor in their life, if only for a lunch. At least it's something. What is it? What do you have to say out of your own testimony, out of your own experience that could permeate someone's heart and mind? Could cause them to have to really think and evaluate something more so than judge its veracity by the number of followers you have on social media? Spirit of counsel. Proverbs 9 and 9, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Ethics. Ethics is a word you don't ever hear anymore. You don't even hear it anymore. Maybe bioethics some, but what about ethics? What about how do you, what is appropriate? What is morality? What is the, both sides of a story? Who's a critical thinker in the world today? Who's got the mind of Christ? Who can have a conversation weighing both sides of an argument? 
Who can, who can actually look at something and someone say, man, that person processed that. They thought about that. They just didn't tag someone's post. That's the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Some of you came up in these churches where the Holy Spirit was the last person mentioned on the way out the door. He's the first being mentioned today because you need that role in your life. The people in your life need you to speak with some authority, with some wisdom, with some understanding, with some empathy, with some compassion, with some wise counsel. People are falling apart. My guess is, if you speak to them more often, I won't have to speak to them as often. That's my angle. By the way, it's your job. Like there's a job description and that's in it. Don't you dare go praying for the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life and speak nothing into anybody's life. What do you think that is? Come on. Let's get involved. Speak into people's lives. Speak. And don't apologize for speaking truth. Just speak it. Let it sit there. Let the bomb go off. When you speak truth to somebody, listen, it's like one of those cold medicines that takes 12 hours to release. That's what my sermons are. Some of you sit up at 9 o'clock at night, you sit up straight in bed and go, oh, so that's what he was talking about. Time release. Little granules, right? Give something to someone that they have to think about all day long. Don't you realize that... Do you experience this on a Sunday afternoon? I call it a spiritual residue. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock on a Sunday night is different than Wednesday or Thursday. If you've been in church and you've been with the Lord, you've been seeking, you've been worshiping, you feel different at dinner time on a Sunday than you do on a Wednesday. Why is that? Time release. God's working on you. He's trying to show you something. For your benefit and for the benefit of others. That's the Holy Spirit. The spirit of might, strength, boldness, intensity, power, authority, overcoming strongholds. A lot of people want this. This is dangerous. Think about it now. A lot of people want this. What do you want the Holy Spirit to do in your life? I want authority to overcome strongholds. I want to change the geopolitical landscape of the world by praying for a few minutes in the morning. I want the power, baby. Bring on the power. Now listen to what they're saying. There's seven things out there for me the Holy Spirit wants. I just want the power. I want the power. I want the power. I don't want any wisdom. I don't want any understanding. I just want the power. Okay. If you want, I'll show you 10 or 20 ministers on different cable channels that want the power, the power, the power, but no wisdom, no understanding, no wise counsel, no spirit of knowledge. See, the spirit brings unity, but when you start chopping them up and and delling them out, piecemealing them, that's not unity. If I were you and I sat in this ministry for any length of time whatsoever, I'd have to come to this conclusion. I'd have to come to a crossroads, and I'd have to say this. And some of you are already there. Some of you are about there. And some of you have put it in the past. 
Am I going to listen to this guy? 42 to 45 times a year and nod my head and walk out and not do a thing he says, I'm going to be miserable. Am I going to listen to this guy speak from that book and then you say to yourself, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to put my toe in the swimming pool and just see what this Holy Spirit's all about. Excuse me? I just got done telling you that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. Jesus said, you've seen the Father, you've seen me. Seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the most approachable of the Trinity. You know that if you approach Jesus, and there's nothing you want to approach him with, you come boldly to Jesus, and he's the same as the Spirit, but yet we back off. Too mysterious for me, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is sorry. You're right. Our prayer ought to be singing about the names. Father, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus, but you've got to settle some issues on the Holy Spirit. I need him more active in my life. I want his wisdom, his counsel, his understanding. I want that authority. I want that responsibility. I want that anointing. What's wrong with that? You know, see, because when you do that, guess what? You actually become an answer to Jesus' prayer before he vacated. That can't be bad. Don't let a few apples spoil the whole bunch. Don't let a few weirdos, weirdos out there get you turned off to what it is you need most in life, wisdom, understanding. The Spirit of God. The Spirit of knowledge. Know the word and know the way. Christ is the way. Know the secrets of God. Have an intimacy with God. You don't have to be listed in who's who to know what's what. Some of you came from a background in your high church or you're this or you're that, whatever. doesn't matter. What's the difference? Here's where we are. Seek the Spirit of God to unravel these knots you've created in your own relationships, in your own life, your own ways of thinking, and, and, and open up the restrictions to minister to other people by having timely words, godly words, wise words, rhema words, scriptural words, scriptural encouragement, scriptural counsel. Because if something comes from God, God uses it in a person's life. Something comes from you or me to someone else, 50-50 at best. If you already have a bad relationship with them, 30, 70, and you're the 30, so am I. If you never met them before, 10, 90. And the last one, the spirit, the spirit of fear of the Lord. First, let me talk about Russian generals. I know you wanted me to bring this up. Russian generals, I know you can see it on your face. Russian generals, I believe this is true. More Russian generals have died in the uh, war with U in Ukraine than any other time in Russian military history. Now, the first thing I'm going to ask is, as a rule, now I don't want to judge these people. That's, this, is gonna, this is a joke, actually, okay? I have to tell you that so you can laugh. I don't want to judge these Russian generals. 
But my guess is they don't have a real strong fear of the Lord. All right, now if they don't have a fear of the Lord, they don't have wisdom from God, and they don't have an understanding from God, and they don't have wise counsel from God. So what do they do? They bring their cell phones on the battlefield, and they call in strikes. They call in hits. And when they do so, their cell phone gives them away because they're using Ukrainian cell towers to do it. So when they get on their cell phone and call in a bomb strike on a civilian area, they've just implicated themselves in a war crime, and they've just given their position away to the Ukrainian who's going to launch the drone, who's going to hit the guy with the cell phone still in his ear. No fear of the Lord, no understanding, nothing. All right, let's take it a second step. Ukrainians are taking social media pictures and posting them online of where civilian targets have been hit by bombs. They're time-stamping those pictures. They're corroborating with other social media posts. They're, they're being uh, compared and contrasted to Russian posts of the same hit. And when you add up all of the timelines of all the social media posts, of all the civilians hit in the thing, you have a timeline of who gave the hit, to whom, who pulled the trigger, who's hit the school, who hit the nursery, all on social media, and they've just implicated themselves in a war crime. And it finally dawns on them, perhaps our soldiers should not carry cell phones into battle. That's the world we live in. Is there a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel, a spirit of might, a spirit of knowledge? Is there a fear of the Lord? No. Do you understand what little we have to do to stand out as light in the midst of darkness? Practically nothing. This world is full of knuckleheads. And we are, in Christ, the light of the world. David McCullough, in his book, Mornings on Horseback, tells a story about a young Teddy Roosevelt. Mitty, his mother, had found he was so afraid of the Madison Square Church that Teddy Roosevelt, as a boy, refused to set foot inside that church alone. He was terrified. She discovered something called zeal. He was terrified of zeal. It was crouched in the corners of the church, ready to jump at him, he said. When she asked what a zeal might be, he said he was not sure, but thought it was probably a large animal like an alligator or a dragon. He had heard the minister read about it from the Bible using a concordance. She read him those passages containing the word zeal until suddenly, very excited, he stopped her. To, he told her to stop. The line was from the book of John 2.17, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house have eaten me up. People are still justifiably afraid to come near the zeal of the Lord, for they are perfectly aware it could eat them up, and that they aren't one of his. Our Lord is good, but he isn't safe. As your friend, as your pastor, it's a dangerous world, but don't live a, don't live a safe life. Don't live so safe. Your reputation isn't so pristine that you can't risk it.
Your credibility pales in comparison to the credibility of Christ. And you're here to fortify that with me. Take a risk. If your relationship won't survive a wise word from you to a friend, your relationship wasn't deep enough to begin with. Stop playing safe. The people that we're dancing around are going to hell. How can we play it safe? Said another way, would you have preferred before you came to Christ that everyone who knew you decided to play it safe, share no truth with you, not do anything out of the ordinary or dangerous as they perceived it? I didn't like Christians. I thought they were obnoxious. All they wanted to do was get me in a car and pray with me in the shadow of the freshman dorm. I had become, on my resident hall, a trophy. And whoever led me to Christ got to put the trophy on the dresser in their dorm. Let's get Hewins with the gospel. I called him the God Squad. It came out when A-Team was on TV. One of them to me was a spiritual Mr. T. They looked for me, they, they watched when I was coming in the dorm, they helped me walk in the dorm when I was wasted, and I never accepted Christ with those God Squad guys, but I'm not sure I would have years later had they not stopped being safe and put me ahead of their own feelings and put the Spirit of God ahead of their own preferences. I wish I could see them today. I'd hug every one of them. I'd pray with every one of them. I'd anoint every one of them with oil. I'd encourage them never to grow weary in well-doing. And some of you have the same story. Speak truth in the spirit and watch results. If you're here today and you thought the Holy Spirit was just a carnival act, talk about weird stuff that happens and we can argue about it later as to whether it's for today or not. <laughs> Jeez, I'll tell you what's for today. Any and everything that brings appropriate attention to Jesus Christ, the one we sang about, and I don't care if it's a miraculous healing or a word of wisdom over a cup of coffee. I don't care if it's showing a guy how to earn respect in his family again after betraying everyone in the family. I don't care what it is, but the opportunities are there. And there's seven aspects of the Spirit Pick one and start there, but speak, and speak truth. Less is more. Love more than you believe, and you will pull down strongholds.
bow our heads. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what I'm about to say may threaten you and you might feel obnoxious about it. Believe me, I get it. If you're apart from him, if you have no friendship with him, if you're listening to me online and you have never acknowledged him as your savior, then you have no forgiveness of sin. It is only by the blood of Christ that our sins are forgiven. It is only by the blood of Christ that we are justified in the eyes of the Father. It is only through the blood of Christ that we have access to the Father, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. All he wants is you and died to get you. But love requires a choice on both sides. He has chosen you. Have you chosen him? Have you accepted his death on the cross as payment for your sin? Or would you prefer to pay of your own accord? It is so simple. You cannot meet the standard that God requires, therefore his son met it on your behalf. If you're not yet convinced of the fact you can't meet the standard, the very fact you can't be convinced is evidence that you're not meeting it now. He loves you with an everlasting love. He doesn't ask a reservoir of faith from you, just a mustard seed, the smallest amount possible. And if he's going to say anything to you, is not only do I love you, I demonstrated my love for you. While you were yet a sinner, I died for you. Love is so overused. I know that. But this kind of love that he has is unconditional. It's not fleeting. It's not up and it's down. It's who he is. It's not what he does. He does not have the wherewithal not to love you because he is love. He is the love you've been looking for your entire life that you couldn't get out of anyone else at a level that was satisfied you enough. He is love. And you need only say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I open the door. Come in. Show me who you are and teach me to love. Through his blood, he ransomed you out of the darkness and wants you to live in his marvelous light. If you've never accepted him before, I just want to pray with you. Just raise your hand so I can see it and we'll pray with you. It's going to be a beginning. It's not going to be the end. It's going to be a beginning. Anybody here need to accept Jesus Christ? I want to pray with those online. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my very being. I invite you into my mind, my heart, my body, by your spirit. I invite you into my entire life. Take over and be my Lord. Forgive me. I confess my shortcomings, my sin, my rejection, my rebellion of you and ask you to forgive me. Take that weight off of me and that shame off of me that I may begin to be who you called me to be. Hold me, love on me, care for me, that I may follow you all the days of my life and dwell 
in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I want you to think about these things of the Spirit as we play this song.